Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we present the third lesson in our series, Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil shows us that wrecking our lives is easy when we have an upside-down view of success. Listen, as we're reminded that we need to be careful what we seek when it comes to success. He challenges us to be careful with the illusion of success and what we need to guard against. He was a coach in the 1950s and all the way through 1975 at uh, Auburn University. He was the football coach there. His name was Shug Jordan, and he was known for his, his stories and his quips. And the story is told that he uh, approached one of his former players, a guy called by the name of Mike Collin, who is uh, now a uh, linebacker playing for the Miami Dolphins, and he asked him for some help. He said, I want, I want you to help me recruit some players for, for our college. And so Collin was like, no problem, coach. You know, uh, well, what are we looking for? What kind of player are you looking for? What do you want? And, uh, and, and, and Shug Johnson, uh, Jordan said, well, you know that, you know that one guy that you, you knock down and he stays down? Uh, and, and Colin says, we don't want him, do we, coach? He goes, no, we don't want him. And he goes, well, Jordan said, well, you know, there's that one guy you knock down, and he goes to the ground, and then he gets back up, but then you knock him down a second time, and then he stays down. Colin goes, we don't want him either, coach, do we? He goes, no, we don't want him. And then Shug Jordan says, but, but then, then there's that one guy. That one guy that you knock down, he gets back up. You knock down, he gets back up. You knock down, he keeps getting back up. You know that guy? Colin's like, that's the guy we want, isn't it, coach? Chuck Jordan goes, no, that's not the guy we want. He goes, who do you want? He goes, I want you to find the guy that's knocking everyone down. <laughs> this morning, um, as we continue our series, uh, Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. By the way, the reason we're doing that is because if you want a fulfilling, satisfying life, it's not just about adding good things to your life. It's making sure you and I don't make dumb decisions that wreck our life. And today, what I want you to do is I want to challenge and encourage you to uh, change what you're looking for, to change what you're seeking after when it comes to success. One of the easiest ways to wreck your life and mess it up really big is to have an upside-down view of what success looks like. And you spend your entire life living for what the world says is the standard for success, and then you retire and you look back on your life, and then you start to realize, I had it all wrong. I had it all wrong. The Bible tells us, uh, and you kind of picked it up on the little video before I came up, is that if you live for that kind of success, eventually you'll you'll be dissatisfied and you'll be frustrated and there's going to be an emptiness inside of you that you can't pinpoint, but it's this upside-down view of success. I want you to grab the study guide that's in your program. If you have a Bible, turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 41, we are going to read uh, partially the story of Joseph. Now, you, you know, this is the guy with the, the coat with many colors and and um, he, he ends up getting sold into slavery. We're going to pick up the story towards the end of his life when he's in charge. When, when he's in charge. In, in chapter 41, verse 41, here's what we read. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. 
He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before Joseph, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh then gave Joseph a new name, Zaphnath Paneh, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the whole land of Egypt. In these first four or five verses, what we have is the world's view of success. There's four or five things that are pointed out to us that I want to identify for you in terms of what the world says success looks like. You're going to recognize the, the, the first idea is the idea of having power and authority. Having power and authority. Egypt was the one superpower of the day. It was the one military superpower. It had advancements in education and in finances. Um, it was the one place that, that you mainly wanted to live. It had military might, remarkable influence throughout that entire region of the world, the no world at the time. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, you're in charge. Now, now the position that Joseph has is essentially what, what a prime minister has in England. You've got the king or the queen but they're more of a they're more of a figurehead. The one that runs the thing is the prime minister. That's what Joseph was. He was in charge. He was the most important political leader in the entire land, only second to Pharaoh. That's one of the things the world is going to say is success. If you're at the top of the organizational chart, if you are in a position to tell people what to do and where to go, well, then you must be pretty important. You you must be successful if you've arrived at that level. Another thing that the world says is if you have material riches, you're successful. There's three things that, that he has given, Joseph. Number one, he's given a ring. Now, when you look at the Hebrew word ring there, it literally means to sink. And it gives us a specific idea of what kind of ring it was. It wasn't kind of like a wedding band as I'm, as I'm wearing. It was one of those rings you see kind of like in the medieval stories where there's castles and kings. And when you wanted to authenticate something, the king would take his signet ring and drop some, you know, put some hot, hot, hot wax and then put his stamp of approval on it. That's what he wore. He wore a signet ring, um, with Pharaoh's identification seal. It was like an unlimited credit card spending spree. Any invoice that came by his desk, all he had to do is take that ring, sink it in, done deal. Pharaoh would take care of paying for it. it he also, they took him to Macy's and they got him some new, some new threads. This is a big deal because he just came from prison. So now he's looking pretty good. Macy's and Nordstrom's, he looks good. Then they give him all kinds of jewelry. He gets a little bit of bling. And isn't that really what the world says success is? Depends what, what kind of car you drive. It depends what kind of house you live in. Do you have a pool in your backyard? What kind of vacations are you going on? What kind of clothes do you wear? Do you buy them from here? Do you buy them from there? It, that's how we... Isn't it true? You, you go into the parking lot later and, and, and you see someone who's driving a, a Benz. Or, or a Mercedes or a really nice sedan, you know, or, or one of those new, new hybrids. And in, in our mind, we're going, they must be pretty, pretty successful. You know, you see someone else driving, I don't know, a Ford Pinto, you know, come to the prayer room. We would like to pray for you, you know. <laughs> By the way, if you are driving a Pinto, don't worry about it. I'm just making a point, right? And it's, it's, it's our, it's our lenses in terms of what makes you successful or not, right? 
authority, power, material riches. The other is having the respect of others. He is given a private chariot, basically a presidential limousine. He has an entourage of secret service. And when Joseph is coming down, they're yelling, make way, make way. The alternative Hebrew rendering for that phrase is bow down. Hey, hey, Joseph is coming. Get on your knees. Respect. And one of the things that our world says you've arrived is when is, oh, my goodness, look who look who showed up. It's respect. The other was social standing and prestige in your study guide. I probably put the wrong words there in your study guide. I have the new Egyptian name, Zaphonath Pane, which was it literally meant God speaks. It was a Pharaoh's pagan way of trying to authenticate and and give some props to, to Joseph's God. He marries this this woman called Asenath. But the key word is that she was the, the daughter of Potiphera. The priest of On. Why is that such a big deal? Because they were one of the most prestigious families in ancient Egypt. That's why. They were incredibly um, influential politically. Um, they, had, they had high standing within the government. It would be the equivalent of, of someone marrying into the Kennedy family in the United States. It has kind of like that aura around it. That's the family of Potiphera. So now they're taking pictures of Joseph and his new wife. He's on People magazine. He's got social standing and prestige. Wow, he must he must be pretty popular. He must have he's successful. Now, while it's not in these verses in chapter 39, verse six, we're also told that he's he's good looking. He's well built and he's handsome. He's a good looking guy. You know, by the way, if you go back to chapter 39, it, it actually tells you what he looked like. It's very interesting in the footnote. It tells you apparently he was about 5'10", 5'11", glasses, goatee, short hair. Um, sorry. Some of you are like, really, does it say that back there? I didn't know that. <laughs> I did get an email. I did get an email from someone. It was entitled, um, Success is Dependent on Your Age. Success is dependent on your age. Let me read what it says. It says, at age four, success is not peeing in your pants. At age 12, success is having a lot of friends. At age 16, success is having a driver's license. And at age 35, success is having money. But you all know, you get to, you get to that hump in life where, 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 where how you define success begins to change, right? So, so at age 50, success is still having money. At age 70, success is still having a driver's license. At age 75, success is still having a few friends. And at age 80, success is still not peeing in your pants. So everything just kind of, it all goes back to how it started, you know? (laughs) Now, just real quick, there's nothing wrong with these things. God doesn't say that this is wrong or evil. Many of you, many of us have some of those. Uh, You've done very well for yourself in career or financially or you know, you're on top of the organizational chart. You know, we are as a church, we are certainly the last one. Good looking. We may not have our own building, but I brag to my pastor friends. We we are much better looking than you are, you know. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with these. But here's what the Bible says. Be careful. Be careful. In your study guide, I, I, I could spend 30 minutes just on the bottom of, of page one. You have to guard against three things. 
if, if this is what you're living for, number one, you got to guard against the illusion of success. You got to make sure that, that, that you, you realize that if you have authority and power and riches and respect and social standing and good looks and, and all those things that you, you don't automatically think I've made it. Jesus says at one point in time in Luke nine, what, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Be careful. Those things aren't bad, but, but don't trick yourself. There's another verse that I found fascinating. Mark chapter 10, 25. Let's put it up on the screen. You've heard this before, but be honest. We've never fully understood it. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Okay, I'm not sure how this works. You got this massive animal going through a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Huh? When you start doing some research as to what is what is being said here? What is being communicated? There's actually three possible options as to what this phrase means. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. The first is that this phrase, eye of a needle, refers to a small gate used that night in the city of Jerusalem. So it, it, it was kind of like these times when, when at, at you know, 11 p.m., the gates closed of the city. It's not like our cities now. You had, no, you had big walls and you closed everything up. Why? Because you don't want people at night come in and terrorize in your city so you'd lock everything up but what would happen if people were late traveling and they showed up at you know half past midnight into the city well then you go to the small gate called the eye of the needle it's over on the west side of jerusalem the problem is it was really small and the only way a traveler could get through is for a camel to get on its knees take all its packages off its back and then it could make its way through that gate well, that would make sense to me. It's saying, you know, just like that camel, we got to get on our knees before God, not take our packages and assume that we're going to get into heaven if just because we got a lot of stuff that we've accumulated. That would make sense to me. The second one is even more interesting. The second definition is that the word camel should not be translated as camel. It should be translated as the word rope. It's very, very similar to the Hebrew word camel and rope. So it should say this. It's easier for rope to go through an eye of a needle. Now, that would make sense to me. The language, linguistics makes sense. It, to take a big chunk of rope and try and get it through where you put the thread in, it's harder to do that than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that makes sense to me. It could be that. Or it could be the last one. The basic comparison that the camel in those days was the largest animal any Jewish person had seen. They didn't have the Discovery Channel. They just had their eyes. Camel was the biggest animal they knew. And based upon the technology of the day, the smallest opening they knew of was, was the eye of a needle. And Jesus is saying, just as hard as the biggest thing you know it is to get into the smallest thing you know, what happens with some of us is we, we're faked out by success. We assume that our car in our home and our threads in our position at work and, and, and what the world thinks of us is the same thing that God thinks of us. Be careful with the illusion of success. Now, for those of you who are jotting down your notes and you've got to make sure and fill in your blanks. Now, let's put the next slide up there. The other thing is the trap of success. And just put right there story of Samson. Remember Samson? He, he's the, he was super successful. And eventually it trapped him. It trapped him. Cost him his life. The last one is the amnesia of success. I think in your study guide, I've given you some verses to look up. Deuteronomy 8, 
17 and 18 is this idea where the writer of Deuteronomy says, who do you think you are? Who do you think got you that nice house? Who do you think gave, me, gave you those talents? Who, who do you think gave you the ability to buy, buy the car you have? And who do you think gave you your good looks? And on and on. Don't, don't forget who gave it from you. It's what James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So all the good stuff you have, make sure you acknowledge who gave it to you. So real quickly, just guard against these things. Be careful with these things. Now, the rest of the story, if you look on the backside of your study guide, I just want to give you five characteristics of God's success. Now, I hope that you're like Joseph. I hope you have world success and God's success. But you can't control world success all the time. But you can control the characteristics that God says live for these things. So let's kind of go through the rest of the story. The first characteristic that God says is success. True success is faithfulness. Faithfulness. In verse 46... We read this. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, uh, uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from uh, Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. And, and the question is, if you read too quickly, you forget to ask the details of why does he add something like how old he was? Who cares? Now, one could be impressed. Oh, my goodness. He became president at age 30. That's pretty impressive. But that's not why the writer adds that in. It's not why he adds it in at all. If you go back to chapter 37, the beginning of chapter 37 starts the same way as this verse. But in contrary, it tells us how young he was when he became a slave and a prisoner. 17. So you do a very simple math and you realize that for 13 years. He's endured hardship and temptation and slavery and through it all, he remained faithful to God. See, faithfulness is when you don't allow your commitment to God to be controlled by your circumstances. So if, if life's go, isn't it easy to say, praise Jesus when things are going well? You got a promotion. Praise Jesus. We had another kid. Praise Jesus. I'm healthy. Praise Jesus. I got it. It's easy when things are going well. But how about when life starts crumbling? Are you faithful? Are you dependable? One of the um, growing up in Spain, as I did, one of the best parts about growing up in Spain is my vacations. Instead of going to the Grand Canyon or Los Angeles or Oregon like we do here, I got to travel to Italy and to France and to Belgium and to Germany because Europe is a lot smaller than people realize. And one of my favorite vacations was to to Rome. We spent two weeks there. While you're in Rome, one of the things you've got to do is you've got to visit the city of Pompeii. This is a city that was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius, a volcano, um, and it was kind of smoldering, and, and the people of, of, of Pompeii never thought anything would happen. A movie's been done about it and everything. What's fascinating is when you go to the little museum at Pompeii, and you start to see all the artifacts, and then you start to see some of the bodies that were consumed and still intact by the lava. It's incredible. One of the most fascinating stories from Pompeii is the story of this guy right here. It was a soldier. And what's fascinating about it is he was consumed by the lava. And his body was found at the entryway of the city at the gate. And here comes the key where he was posted by his captain. 
Now, I want you to picture what happened. The volcano explodes. Everybody is watching the results show of American Idol. They come running out. They're like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? People start running in every direction. The ashes are coming down. The lava is flowing. uh, flowing. There's fire in the air. And this soldier goes, I'm not moving. This is where my captain told me to stay. I'm, I'm not moving. How about you? When life starts crumbling beneath you, are you faithful? Are you dependable to God? Or is it based upon your circumstances and how good or not good life is going for you? God says one of the traits and characteristics of real success is faithfulness. Faithfulness to your family, faithfulness to your God, faithfulness even in your place of employment, faithfulness, dependability. It's not just faithfulness, though. It's also second characteristic is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. So verse 47. Now, the reasons Joseph becomes the prime minister of the land is because he has interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, identifying the idea that there's going to be famine coming up. So what you see in verse 47 is this. During the seven years of abundance, which was the first part of his dream before uh, the, the predicted famine, in the first part of uh, 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 during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully plentifully one of his jobs joseph was to make sure that their agrarian economy because they were farmers was operating at a high standard not just average because he had predicted famine is coming so we have to produce at a high level and we see that that's exactly what he did he organized those farmers and got everything going to high capacity and high efficiency so that he produced plentifully. Can you imagine his first performance review when he sits down with Pharaoh? Things are going good, Joseph. I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you, you know, more because I can't give you a promotion. You're already you're already top dog. I came across some very interesting actual performance evaluations written by managers about their employees. Let me write, read a few. Since my last report, this employee has reached rock bottom and has started to dig. <laughs> this employee works well under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap. He would be out of his depth in a parking lot puddle. I like this next one. This employee is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. front row like that one this employee should go far and the sooner he starts the better for the rest of us this employee has two brains one is lost and the other is out looking for it last one if you give him a penny for his thoughts you'd get change (laughs) what does your boss say about you what do your co-workers say about you One of the biggest mistakes we make in the church world is assuming that, well, I'm faithful. As long as I'm faithful. No, faithfulness is important, but I could stack up all kinds of verses that God says you need to be fruitful. You need to be productive. You need to be efficient. You need to be dependable. So are you? Not only Joseph, but you read the story of Daniel and you realize that Who he was as an employee was his primary testimony to everyone else about who his God was. 
Are you different at work than you are at church on Sunday morning? You shouldn't be. You should be efficient. You should be productive. That's what God asks for. He expects not just only faithfulness, but fruitfulness. Fruitfulness at work. You're a key person at work. Fruitfulness academically, be the best you can be. Fruitfulness and effectiveness economically. There's all kinds of verses about being good with your investments and with finances. And of course, fruitful spiritually. Don't just soak all this information out and say, amen, laugh at a few stories and leave, do nothing about it. No, do something. God expects results in your life. He expects results and quality work. It's one of the characteristics of true success. Third characteristic is wisdom. The ability to be discerning and thoughtful in your decisions and actions. Look at these verses, verse 48 and 49. So he's preparing for a famine and we read this. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. Each city, he put the food growing in the fields surrounding it. So he takes all this food, puts it in the city and stores it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. Now, this next portion that the accountants here won't like, but this is how much he had. It was so much, he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Like I said, the accountants are like, that's not right. But he had so much food. He's like, I I can't even count it anymore. Now, what you have here is not an example of just fruitfulness. You have an example of wisdom. He doesn't go crazy having parties. He knows it's coming. The day is coming when we're going to be in trouble he's wise now wisdom is more than a high iq it's more than being intelligent it's more than having fancy degree titles on on your office wall they're cousins all those things but wisdom is the ability to see life and to respond from god's perspective to see life and to respond from god's perspective the writer of proverbs says wisdom is so important do whatever you got to do to get it do what you got to do to get it one of my favorite stories about this guy right here let's put him up on the screen he doesn't look very sophisticated but that's charlie steinmetz he was an electrician genius he was an absolutely genius way before his time and one of the things that this guy did is he worked with ford henry ford and, and he, he helped him with all the electrical things in his power in his plants to produce cars and what steinmetz did is he made the main generators for the plants in detroit that produced the cars. As the story is told, one day the generators came to a screeching halt. And uh, all the maintenance people were called emergency in to try to get these generators working because every hour that they didn't work, they're losing money, right? These big power, these big plants that produce cars. So finally, Henry Ford says, call Steinmetz. He'll figure out what to do. So so Steinmetz comes and he he just tinkers with the generates, generators for a little bit. And for about a couple hours, he's tinkering with the generators. And, um, and, and, and when he's done, he, he, you know, does, shoots the switch and boom, everything starts working again. Everybody starts to, to get back to work. About a week later, Henry Ford receives a bill from Charlie Steinmetz for $10,000. Ton of money back then. Henry Ford, which was no, he was known for being very, very frugal, goes crazy. And he calls Steinmetz. He's like, how could this is no way you just tinkered with the machines and the generators for a couple hours. And Steinmetz says, you're right. Let me send you a new invoice. So Steinmetz sends Henry Ford a new invoice. And the new invoice said for tinkering with the generators, ten dollars. 
for knowing where to tinker $9,990. Wisdom is knowing where to tinkle. I mean, where to (laughs) tinkle. I had a little extra coffee this morning, so kind of looking forward to this sermon being done. Wisdom. Come on, behave yourselves. Grow up. (laughs) Is knowing. I got to read this. I got the tinker, not tinkle. That's another sermon. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Number four is holiness. (laughs) Number four is holiness. Your choice to be set apart, special, and different than the rest of the world. Verse 50 and 52 tells us when Joseph starts to have kids. And here's what we read. Two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And he said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, here's what I find interesting. First of all, let's just start with the definition of holiness. That is actually the theological definition for holiness. When we say God is holy, what we're saying is that he's set apart from us. What we're saying is that he's special and different than the rest of us. Did any of you grow up with mom having that special cabinet of China? Anyone grow up? You never got to use those plates ever. Really? Maybe, maybe at Easter, maybe if super special people came to the house, right? I remember when we used to use it, you know, uh, people would, you know, back at Easter when we'd have very important people over the house, we'd put it out. My job was always to clear the table. And I remember those days, my mom would always be looking at me as I'm clearing her her china, you know, and she would look at me as if to say, if you drop that plate, I will kill you. (laughs) You know, these plates were set apart and they were special. They were different than all the other plates we had in the house. That's not only what Joseph is, but that's what God calls you to do. How do you get these out of these verses? Here's what's fascinating. Joseph has spent 13 years in Egypt. During these 13 years, he now has become the most powerful Egyptian politician. He, he dresses like an Egyptian. He's married to an Egyptian woman. He certainly speaks their language or else he couldn't do his job. He eats Egyptian food. He's given that Egyptian name. He looks and acts like an Egyptian so that one chapter later when his brothers show up, they don't even recognize him. He's Egyptian through and through. Except when he has kids, he gives them Jewish names. Why? Because he's determined to be different. On the outside, I may look like an Egyptian, but on the inside, I have not forgotten who the one true God is. I will be different. And in these names, Manasseh literally means God has healed me. Anyone need that? Anyone need God to heal them from pain and hurt? And then Ephraim literally means God has blessed me. It's not my abilities that got me to be prime minister. No, God blessed me. And in the midst of it, at your homes and at your schools and at your places of employment, be different. Be different. That's success. You could say be holy, but that means be different. Be fundamentally different than others. And the last thing, let's wrap it up with this. Is that true success results in servanthood. Look at verse 53. I don't have these verses 
on the screen. So follow along with me. The seven years of abundance, verse 53, in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the land, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food because he'd saved it all. When all Egypt began to uh, to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. I don't know what to do. Just just go do what Joseph tells you. Verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And Joseph says in these seven years, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make sure you have food. I'm going to serve you. And ultimately, what we see in God's word and what we see in the life of Jesus Christ is true success always results in the decision to serve other people. You finally realize it's not about me. It's me about giving to others. It must have been on TNT like a month ago. This um, it was the newer SS Poseidon. Remember the SS Poseidon movies? One was done in the 60s. One was done in the early 90s or whatever. It's the story of this cruise ship or this ocean liner. And and everybody's having a great time and they're celebrating. And the men are wearing tuxes. The women are wearing evening gowns. And the piano's playing. And they're having all this nice buffet food. And it's wonderful. And then this tidal wave hits the boat. And water starts crashing in and smokes everywhere. And people are going and people are getting hurt, right? And eventually, because of the force of the water, the boat gets turned upside down. But because there's air in that ship, it floats upside down. When finally everybody kind of catches their breath and gathers themselves, they want to free themselves. So what most of the people start doing is they start climbing to the upper deck. The only problem is the upper deck is now 200 feet underwater. They're going in the wrong direction. And those are the people that eventually drown. But there's a small group of people. Small group. And they go, no, no. It, I know it doesn't seem to make sense. I, I know it's, it's not what everyone else is doing. But what we've got to do is go to the bottom of the boat. Because the bottom of the boat is now up top. And that's where we're going to get rescued. And that's how it is with success. Most of the world is saying, go, go this way. Go, go this way. And what God says to us this morning is it's the wrong way. In the end, you will be dissatisfied and you will be frustrated and you will be empty. You have to do what what the world says doesn't make sense. That's this doesn't make sense to them. Faithfulness and fruitfulness and wisdom and holiness and servanthood. But in the end, someday when you stand before God. Will you be successful in man's eyes or will you be successful in his eyes? If you don't get this right, it has the potential to really mess up your life. So think about it. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to take two seconds here and I want you to think about What kind of success am I living for right now? How would I define success? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, 
I think maybe I've had it a little bit wrong. I hope you can be like Joseph. I, I hope you can have riches and nice clothes and good social standing and also be successful from the perspective of God. But that's not always the case. And the question is, which one are you going to live for? Dear Heavenly Father, I, I will admit that sometimes as I go through life and I watch TV and I see what the media says and what culture says, it's easy to get caught up in what the world says success is. It's fun. It's comfortable. But today you've reminded us if we live with the wrong definition of success, it can mess us up in the long run. I especially pray for the young people here today with their entire lives ahead of them. That yes, they would live a life to pay the bills and to support themselves. But they would live for you. That we would all live for you. Father, the same is true as we think about our success as a church. Let us never think that we're successful because we have more people coming to our church than someone else. Or that we have a prettier building than someone else. Or we have more staff than another church. Father, remind us that true success of a church is their commitment to your son, Jesus. True success as a church is our willingness to, to obey what your commission says. To go out and to share your word and to reach people for yourself. That true success is being changed, transformed, and redeemed by the power of your blood. Father, even as a church, remind us what true success is. Father, thank you for your word today. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.